Welcome to Warnounds, a Privateer Press podcast. I'm Locke, he's Caster, and today we'll be talking about Scorn. Welcome, and this is Warnounds, and welcome to our multi-part caster special on Scorn. Hopefully only two parts. Yes, it should only be two parts. This is going to be, as I have teased and talked about, the Scorn Ancestral Worship, something that is a much bigger thing than even I had any anticipation that ever would be. Okay, apologize if there's going to be any dropouts in audio. My computer's doing a thing. Um, so, sorry if that's a bit jarring there, uh, as I had to cut some stuff out. But FYI, I'll try and cut it out if I see any more pop up. Anyways, so the Scorn uh, Ancestral Worship, it's... There's a lot to it. I was... I'm very, very surprised. And I haven't even finished transcribing. I had to stop so we could... Um, just go over what I had just to get you guys something because it's been so long since we've put out an episode. So, yeah. Um, Scorn Philosophy? Very well written. There's a lot of stuff here that we're going to be going over today. And here I thought they, you know, were barely had anything to their name. Yeah, honestly. Like when I did, I was talking about the dwarves, I'm like, oh, they just have a couple paragraphs and it's like, whoa, okay, this is more than that. And then here I'm like, eh, okay, probably about as much as what the dwarves actually had. And no, there's way more than that. Because it's not just the matter of they worship their ancestors. There's many different ways to go about it. Plus you have to add into the fact that the ancestors, through the uh, ancestral guardians, join them on the battlefield. And not everything that goes into that, which is very separate from... I mean, it's integrated in, but it's very separate from the original philosophy of it. So let's kind of go over that um, really quick. Did we have any news or anything to cover right now, or is that for next time? Um, well, I mean, a lot of stuff has happened. I just yeah, I didn't lot, think to pull it up. Yeah, it, it is a Lore Nouns episode. We'll, we'll cover that in our main cast on next one. Um, so if you're looking for news, stay tuned. We're going to have a whole bunch for you uh, on our next main Warnounce episode. So, yes. Um, shall we get into the matter then? Okay. So, um, so uh, sorry, organizing my thoughts here. On deities itself, in ancient... I, I'm just beginning right into this. So... Um, in ancient times, the Lyosans, who lived next to Scorn, uh, would call the Scorn people godless or faithless. The Scorn themselves, however, do not refute that a god may have had a hand in making them. However, this is irrelevant, to them at least. They saw firsthand what a strong belief in, quote, higher powers, end quote, could lead to when they witnessed the destruction of the Lyosin Empire by their own deities. Spoilers for when we come back on the elves. Um, and they saw just how lost the Lyosins were without their deities there to guide them and how much they leaned on their deities, not deities, sorry, deities to, um, you know, herd them around like lost sheep, you know, as they gathered them up after the destruction, and they wanted nothing to do with this. They themselves felt that there was a stronger power than a, a, a deity or something like that, and that was themselves, their ability to rely on themselves. And as a result, there are some, let, let me not state that there aren't, there are some scorn that still hold to ancient oral traditions, even into the current time, that gods created them and loved them. 
however, these few are very, very rare, and they are shunned by the majority of Scorn, and those that follow become fewer and fewer to those oral traditions. Though they do still persist, it is more on the fringe communities than in any of the capitals or major uh, houses. And no official creation myth has survived the ages of the uh, destruction of Lyos, the burning times beyond, or any of that. So the Scorn really have no idea, even in their ancient oral traditions, of their creation and where they came from. Only the fact that some believe their gods created them and still exist. And that really is all they have to see or talk about when it comes to, quote, higher powers. They believe in themselves, and thus is the driving factor for everything that they believe in after that. I'm listening. On ancestors themselves, however, there is much to be said. Seeing that the Lyosans were so lost without their deities and relied on them so heavily when they were there, it convinced them that the far better way to work is to rely on themselves, and scorn philosophers take pride in the idea that they, as a people, have not relied on the need and wisdom of some god somewhere, but of the wisdom of their forefathers, those that came before them. Scorn worship focuses on the great individuals whose deeds are immortalized in legend, paragons of values of the Scorn dream made manifest through flesh. Different schools of philosophy, however, do exist, and they revolve around specific ancestors and associated legends that have resulted in different faiths. Schools of faith, as they are called, within the Scorn society. These faiths may dictate, or um, may, back up there. The people who follow these schools of faiths may dedicate themselves to the specific ancestors, a family bloodline, or a more widely followed practice of revering a single ancient ancestor. A scorn may choose to venerate multiple ancestors, however, if they wish. There is no rule stating specifically one way or another on the matter. Hmm. Most, however, choose two of the majority of for the majority of their devotion. Typically, a greater one that they uh, that is directly related to their day-to-day lives and the crafts that they have chosen. And then one would likely be a family member or something like that of great importance. Is he? Yes. So, I, I'll take a pause there. What What are our thoughts on this so far? I don't know. It, it just... Um, I thought it'd be more interesting. It does get more interesting. Okay. Th- th- this, this is you the... have you have been making making your weird noises and <laughs> jumping up and down when you're doing your research this entire time. And to be completely honest, I'm just not hooked yet. What we have here, this is the general scorn philosophy. Before we get into the more specifics of what they believe in. One thing to keep in mind that not everyone may realize is that the scorn come from a land that was never rich or bountiful. It's always been hard. They live in a withered waste. It used to be an arid steppe, effectively. But now, after the destruction of Laos, it is nothing more than... It's not sandy dunes. It is just desert wasteland, where storms last have lasted for thousands of years and just roam all over destroying everything and they live around these little pockets of oasises and even um from what i can tell artificial ones that they've like found a little water hole and dug it out more and created a more sustainable environment for them to live in but never ever comfortable by choice they don't want to live a comfy life because they live in a hard land 
Well, except for, um... Well, there are those who live in excess. Uh, Dominar Rashef being one, yes. Mm, there is always the, the outliers. But those are only outliers. <laughs> Choking on my tea. <laughs> <laughs> we are enjoying our tea as usual today, folks. <laughs> I am drinking black currant uh, with some black... Uh, Vanilla noted uh, tea to go with it. And I've got my usual off with your head cold. Yes, yes. All right. So, shall I continue? Aye, Captain. All right. So, continuing on the general scorn philosophy here, um, the secondary deity, you know, they, they generally choose one main deity. The secondary deity that they choose is typically one of the house, one of direct bloodline, or one that was venerated and exalted in recent living memory that was of great importance to that particular scorn. Now, veneration itself, not a term we use in our day-to-day -day lives very often, that is to revere to the it's stronger than revering, basically. You're, you're practically worshipping that person. Although, depending on your culture, that may actually be worship. Scorn demonstrate their veneration in several different ways, such as maintaining a small dedication shrine in their home, or keeping an item associated with that ancestor on one's person, whether it be a weapon that they used, uh, not necessarily one that they literally use, but let's say, you know, they they used a certain type of sword. And so their weapon would also be that certain type of sword or whatever it happens to be. Some, some scorn inscribe ancestral names and symbols on their weapons and armor. However, as, the, uh, as in Western, that being the... Uh, Signar, Kador, all that, to the west in the uh, continent of Emerin, the western culture, some scorn may rarely, if ever, think of their faith. While others may dedicate their whole lives to emulate those of their chosen ancestors, some scorn just choose it as a token thing, or something that maybe at one point meant something to them, but no longer. Yet, they must keep some sort of appearance, a cultural appearance that they, they revere someone, even though in honesty they could care less. We don't really believe anymore, but they got to keep it up, otherwise, you know, they're going to get an earful at, at Scorn Thanksgiving. From, from, yes, basically, basically. Scorn Christmas. Mm. I mean, there's Circle Christmas. Scorn's got to have one eventually, right? Yeah. <laughs> so... On the matter of exaltation, this is where things really get interesting. So we've un we now have an understanding of their philosophy. Mm. We have an understanding of how exactly they worship and venerate their ancestors. But how does one actually <laughs> become an ancestor? Um, you and who are they? Die. You do. You die. That's it. That that's the key to success. If you want to be worshipped, you die. <laughs> Complete. D d anyone out there, don't take me serious. We're talking about a, f a fictional realm here, the Scorn Empire. So, how does one become an ancestor? Well, let us look at the f those who figured out how to become exalted in their life. The m first key person in Scorn lore and knowledge is Vaxun. Vaxun the Az, uh, Aztec. Or aesthetic. My goodness. Aesthetic. Aesthetic? A aesthetic? I don't know how to enunciate that. Don't, don't ask me. I don't know how to enunciate either. A-S-C-E-T-I-C. Aesthetic? Aesthetic? I don't know. But Vaxun, nevertheless. Vaxun? His title aside. For untold generations, the Scorn have captured and subdued the beasts for burden and war that live in the wastes. Vaxun was a philosopher who specialized in the study of anatomy and bestial behavior. 
beasts of the waste, not of the bedroom. <laughs> Unlike his brethren, however, he did not see himself as a separate entity from the beasts, but saw himself as... <laughs> Keep going. But he saw... Don't find me. <laughs> okay, backing up there a bit. I gotta get my cadence going in here. <laughs> he did not see himself as a separate entity, but saw his own body as an object for study and experimentation. His brethren viewed the animals as being a different thing. He saw something that was similar between them and used his own body for experimentation. Don't look at me and laugh. After uh, decades of self-mutilation, fasting in the desert, and fighting the beasts much larger than himself, he began to understand the link between uh, flesh and essence, the spirit. He began dedicating the... the, 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 No, hold on here. I mixed up my lines. He began dissecting the living and the dead to try and understand this connection better, even plucking out his own eye to study its complexities. He then... He could have plucked out somebody else's eye, but no, he had to go with his own. it had to be his own. He then replaced his eye with a polished stone that he himself devised, allowing him to uh, perceive the vital essence of all living things. And the more vivid the essence was to see, the stronger the moment of anguish or the closer to death the subject was. And he was able to witness this and study it in that state. That sounds like a tryhard. This is the scorn we're talking about. Now what he saw troubled him greatly. The void. Voxun was the first to see the spirit of a scorn as its flesh failed. He witnessed firsthand as the soul scorned to do so at that time as the spirit fell howling into a chasm he dubbed the void. This void, as he called it, was a place of eternal torment and agony, separate entirely from the world of the living, but surrounding at all times. Though living no longer, or sorry, living longer than most, Voxun eventually died, leaving others to carry on his work. Thus enters Eshul and Khalid. These are the disciples of Voxun's work, and worked, and uh, we know that they worked closely with Voxun when he was alive. Uh, no, strike that. I'm thinking of a different person. My apologies. They came ten generations after Voxun. There we go. Uh, Ishil or Ish, I'm gonna get these two confused because they are said together at all times. Uh, Ishol and Khalid. Ten generations after Vaksun's death, Ishol and Khalid worked together to achieve a breakthrough. Ishol discovered that when cut and polished, certain stones uh, that are obsidian-like in nature, one of them actually being obsidian, pulled at the spirit if cut and polished in a certain way. Drawing the spirit like a sponge to the stone. That's weird wording. That's that's literally taken verbatim out of the book. Ishol and Khalid spent their lives work refining this process to increase the strength of the spiritual pull. Both also duplicated Voxun's sacrifice of removing their eye and replacing it with a crystal orb to perceive the spirits of the dead. Now able to actually see the ethereal world around them, they witnessed the essence of fallen scorn being consumed by the void just like Voxun described. Ishul and Khalid theorized 
that this could be prevented using their special stones and immediately began doubling their efforts. And thus we move on to the first exalted, Vixorius. Vixorus, sorry, Vixorus. Vixorus the first exalted. Vixorus was the leader of Ishul and Khalid's house. Something we haven't touched on. I'm going to stop for just a second. The Scorn Society, I'll come back to this in more depth when we actually get into the Scorn culture, is broken up into multiple houses. And the houses lead their general family as a political head, uh, as well as a political entity, and everything else. It, it is a... Um, it, it's it's a family. It's a house. Everyone works for the greater good of the house. There's also a strong caste system. You have the warrior caste, the worker caste, the scholar or philosopher caste, and then there's several others. But that that the makes up the dominar caste. That's part of the warrior caste. The dominars are the leaders of the houses. And they are always warriors. Except when you're laying on a bed. He's still a warrior. He's just a sort. He's a. We'll get into what he is later. Anyways. He's the best. <laughs> he is indeed one of the best. All right. Let's see here. All right. So. He was a leader of Ashul and Khalid's house and a venerated warlord. You were still talking about houses. Oh, yes. My apologies. Um. <laughs> Stop to take a drink of water and lose track where I'm at. So the houses themselves, they are everything in Scorn Society. You are part of a house, and you're working towards the greater good of that house. And that house, all the houses, bend the knee to a single arch dominar. Dominars lead the house. Arch dominar leads all the houses. They are the emperor, king, whatever you want to state that they are. Their title is arch dominar. So, and there, there is a title above that, which is basically ruler of everything scorn, but, you know, we'll, we'll get into that later. So that, that's basically what that is in a very, very broad nutshell. All right, so back to where we're at. Vexorus was the um, dominar of their house. I don't have that house name currently. I'll try and get that at a later date when we do the second part, if I remember. So, um... Though their efforts, that of Ishul and Khalid's, uh, became, through their efforts, uh, Vixorus became the first exalted. That's just it? No, I have an entire page. Of him becoming the first exalted? Because if you just go, he became page the first exalted. If you, if you just say he became the first exalted and move on to a different topic, we're going to have trouble. <laughs> no. So, Vixorus was a famous warlord, a leader in his youth, a uh, warrior leader in his youth, and he entered, as he entered his later years, he formulated the code and philosophy known as Huxun. Huxun. Huxun is a doctrine that, that details the ideals of scorn, martial combat, as well as the values, life, and mental strength of young warriors and what they need to strive to be. This um, doctrine, Huxun, took scorn life beyond what it had become before and became a core aspect of the warrior caste. And most warrior caste members to this day follow the Huxun code or a variation of it. Oral tradition has carried down the teachings of Exorus through the years after his passing, passing them from teacher to student for 14 centuries. So important are these teachings were that the Scorn writing system was invented specifically to preserve the Huxun Code as well as the history of seminal mystics of Vaxun, Ishul, or Ishul and uh, Khalid. Near the end of Vixorus's life, he brooded over 
the preservation of his life's work. He did not care so much about his life. He wanted his life's work to not only be preserved, but not perversed. He wanted it to remain pure. So he approached Eshul about preserving his spirit so his lore would not fade and pass away in the, with the ages. When Vixoris, oh, yeah, when Vixoris's death neared, Eshul and Khalid enacted rites to capture Vixoris's spiritual essence in a polished obsidian stone, the first sacral stone. Hmm. And they discovered that if uh, once they were finished, they discovered that they could actually contact him and talk to him. Hi, we put you in a stone. Are you okay without arms? Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a very difficult process they discovered. They found out that... Um, we can't get the antennas to line up just right. <laughs> basically. Um, they could contact him and they could communicate, but it was very difficult to understand one another and uh, just was not a very efficient means of communication. <laughs> they, they both have Google Translate. Oh, <laughs> They're gosh. typing, but the other isn't <laughs> So he's now preserved and essentially immortal, they discover. But they can't really talk to him. They can, so, sort of. he's in a stone. Yes. If I cut the stone up, is he no longer in the stone? He is still in the stone, but he's in all of the stones. So he's performing us himself some little dragon dragon stuff. The catches, um, and I'm going to go into more detail on this when we do the second part, is when you break the stone up, you do separate the soul and can talk to it from both, both sacral stones. Oh, so you could use them like a walkie-talkie. But by doing that, he also loses a lot of his memories and knowledge or something to that effect. I, I need to finish mm. up that section, but it it damages the soul. So so if you could take someone you didn't like, uh huh, you could put them into a stone. Uh-huh. You could then chop the stone in half. Uh-huh. Or fourth or whatever. Give it to four different people. Send them to four different places. And because the person doesn't remember much, he doesn't realize that you don't like him. And then you just say, okay, tell him I'm on my way. And then he does. It's like Siri. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I, uh, okay. Uh, I'm putting that on the table. You do with that as you wish. Okay, Google. Um... <laughs> The stone, moving on here, the stone showed great power and manifested strength now that it was energized by a spirit within it. Though committing the remainder of their days to studying Vixorius' sacral stone, however, they failed to learn how to unlock this potential. They see it's there, they see that there's magical energy and essence coming off of it, but they can't figure out how to do anything with it. Because they have removed their eyes and, and now have special eye crystals. Sure. <laughs> well, that's why they see the energy coming yes, off of it. Yes, yes, that is true. That is true. Okay, that's how you mean that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's how they know. So, although the creation of the Sacral Stones is easily one of the most important events in Scorn history, it was... From the beginning, however, made clear by the early mystics like Ishul and Khalid that the rituals to be preserved must be reserved for the greatest of the scorn and that very, very few would ever be worthy of exaltation. Do you think he's got, like, solitaire in there to keep him busy? Maybe he plays Go. Or something against like himself? that. Yeah, against himself. Well, if you can split up the stone into multiple different ways, <laughs> he can just... He could set up a whole tournament with himself. But he'd forget what he was doing. One would be playing Go, the other one would be playing Checkers, somebody else would be playing... Othello? Um, yeah, Othello. <laughs> that would be confusing. If I was walking in on Go, this is Othello. Oh, boy. Oh, goodness. We're talking about games probably most people have no idea what they are. No. 
such a great game. I thought it was a lot of fun. All right, so. Um, Vixorus was held up as a paragon for others to follow and emulate. A warrior of both intellect and skill. And really stoned. <laughs> yes. Yes, he is now stoned out of his mind and body alike. <laughs> but he is. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm funny today. That's, that's, you've, you've dropped the ball, I must pick it up. Yes, you picked it up and ran with it. Got on rollerblades and went downhill. Okay, okay, okay. I'm taking too much of your time. All right, keep so, doing your <clears> big long speech and looking at me up. So, Vixorus, a warrior of both... Um, a warrior... And uh, I have lost where I'm at. Paragon of intellect and skill. Yes. Okay. Those of purely cerebral accomplishments, however, are not deemed worthy of preservation. <laughs> to that end, when Ashul and Khalid came to the end of their lives, they refused multiple times and adamantly that they would never be preserved. And this distinction between those who were worthy and those who were not, formed the foundation for Scorn's deepest beliefs. Thus being exalted must be a state reserved for only the greatest practitioners of Haksun, those who follow the example of Vixorus. Lesser castes contributing their intellect and skills to the greater Scorn society are expected to accept their fate, consignment to the void. Twelve generations before the destruction of Lyos, the philosopher-warrior Morkash focused on the study of anatomy and the infliction of pain and agony. Th through this, he discovered that in the spark of pain was the crux of life. And the urge to survive, this impulse... This urge to survive could overwhelm rational thought and break the conscious will. And after countless battles, Morkash, um, after, da, 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 da. I did it again, I crossed my lines, I apologize. Morkash, after countless battles against the beasts of the wilds, discovered that by dissecting those he conquered and studied their inner, uh, studying their inner workings, uh, he could really delve into that that crux of where life was. Where this is relevant is after his death, his followers, con followers continued his work and eventually gave rise to the pain giver uh, um, caste and the Churigan caste. And these are going to be very important when we talk about our next uh, section. So centuries after now, the deaths of Vaksun, Shul, Khalid, and Morkash, some of the scorn have continued to devote themselves to the deeper mysteries of the mystics. Uh, those of though, though most of them are extollers, the extoller caste are continuing to try and figure out the deeper mysteries. Most, however, are simply content with the knowledge that they have of how the inner workings of uh, beings are and that there is essence within all of us, and when we die, it goes to the void. And that's it. And they are content with that knowledge. Hmm, how boring. Yes, yes, how boring. However, not all of them find comfort in this. In fact, the majority of them are terrified to their very soul of death. Mm -hmm. They are terrified of the void. Mm. And how all of this is related is in the following. Over the centuries, the works of Aksun, Ishul, Khalid, and Morkash have evolved into the scorn occult science called mortithurgy. Mortithurgy is the sorceress uh, school of thought and philosophy that the Scorn have discovered and use. That is the power of their warlocks. Oh. 
Now, one thing that I touched on, I'm coming back to now, if that seemed a little disjunctured, I, I apologize. The Scorn are very terrified of death. Even the Warlocks, the users of Mortothurgy, are also terrified of death. And those, they realize, are not going to be exalted when they near death. They have a mantra that all of them state. If Vixurus and Voxun, or sorry, if Voxun can bear the void, so can I. If he has the strength to survive, so do I. And that is what gives them courage before they pass, knowing that they're going to him. So, the schools of faith, that's what I'm going to go into next. But before I do that, what, what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's weird. It's very alien to us in the means of way that we it think of things. It sounds like some Eastern religions. It does. It very much sounds to me like um, a type of Russian Orthodox that I've talked to some people about. And just the, the Eastern, that being Ukraine and uh, a bit of Finland and Russia kind of all mixed in, that, that but, thought. But with the, with the caste systems and yeah. the, and the um, exaltation of a warrior and a code for a warrior that does not, not necessarily mean the warrior is good or bad. It just means that they have a code that they yeah. follow. Um, that's very, very, um, that's very, very ancient Japanese. It, it is. It, it, that, that's the other part of it is when you look at the aesthetic of Scorn from a miniature standpoint, it has this kind of Persian um, cataphract looking um, very, very um, Middle East. Yes, Middle Eastern, um, uh, medieval Middle Eastern, but it also has that very strong, distinct samurai look to it. You know, with all of the flags and the way the helmets are made yes. on the Cyclops. And it's very well meshed together in a way that I don't think anyone would have, as someone at Privateer Press obviously thought of it, but I don't think any of us would think to mix those two. And the religions. And the caste system being mixed together as it is is also very intricately done. Someone spent at Privateer Press spent a lot of time doing their research and did a very good job with this. It is official. Scorn does not get enough love. It does not. It's been shat on, as far as the miniatures are concerned, for a long time. And it wasn't until very recently that they became a serious faction. I think looking at the works here... That is a shame. Yeah. The scorn people are just, they're incredible. I, I kind of like how, how, at this point at least, what we're learning about the religion, it, it, they are so insular. Yes. There isn't, they, 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 they don't have a lot to do. Like, like they do talk about the Iosans, and they did have something to do with the Iosans. And they go, and they looked at them, and they go, we don't want that. No. And so, you know, they moved on from them, and they're doing their own thing. And I, I enjoy how... You know that, that this this strange insular feeling that that, that they yeah. have because everything else is so connected and, and all that stuff, which is cool. Yeah, don't get me wrong. That the dwarves have their trade routes, uh, and the the humans all have their integrated little communities and all that. Mm -hmm. The Iosans are insular, but they're insular because they're basically trying to preserve themselves, if for no other terminology that I can think of. Or an metaphor of whatever. Um, the scorn, they're insular because they don't need anyone else. Mm. They need other people to conquer. That's basically it. <sighs> so, that's just because they want to test their martial prowess. I mean, we'll touch on more to it. There is more to that story and more to that. And we'll get to that in a later date. But that's, in essence, it. So, yeah. Now, I'm going to go over here. The last part of this is the schools of faith. And I'm going to touch on four here. There is five. But I'm going to save the fifth for one to begin next episode's um, episode. <laughs> so, FYI. All right. So, without further ado, what are 
the schools of faith? Well, notice I have stated in multiple different times that they worship the ancestors. And we've only talked about one that has been exalted uh, as um, in a sacral stone. And the thing is, is the ancestors that are revered and uh, venerated are not always exalted. The majority of the times they are, however, not all of them. Because the first three are not. Vaksun being the first. Hmm. The devotees of the school of Vaksun. The devotees consider themselves or sorry, consider his loss a fundamental tragedy <laughs> underlying all life and study it uh, study it to reduce the fear of facing the void. Members of the worker caste specifically utter an uh, aphorism as uh, death approaches. If Vaksun can endure the void, so can I. All score know the legends of Aksun, but only his true devotees come from those seeking to master mortithurgy. No other philosophy of the Scorn has inspired a more or varied texts over the millennia than the school of Aksun. It is the most ancient and is the one that gives the majority of Scorn a purpose. Spiritually speaking. Next, we have the school of Ashul and Khalid. They don't get their own. They're together. Oh, they don't get to share? No. Well, I mean, I guess so far they have not been mentioned as in, you know, individuals in this. Ashul is the only one that was re uh, stated as an individual. And that was because Vixurus uh, um, came to him specifically. Mm. So, these seminal extollers, Ashul and Khalid, are, uh, they receive veneration as a pair. While their work did originate from the genius of Aksun, they were the ones to create the first sacral stone and the first to perform the first exaltation. Extollers make up the majority of this faith. Though it has produced a considerable amount of texts, its writings are found to be quite esoteric. And <laughs> it, they're, it's an... <laughs> what? Sorry. Their writings have been found to be quite esoteric. They have. And not only that, quite impenetrable for those not of the right mindset to be able to digest. <laughs> Focusing on this following sort of topics, such as mystical speculation of the void's true nature, as well as other subjects like spiritual transcendence. And the fundamental texts of this faith describe a hierarchy of the states of spiritual being. Okay, yeah, no, I, I, I'm Sim not pick up that book. <laughs> Similar to the scorn cast system of the living. <laughs> When you die, there's still a caste system. Sucks to be you. Yep. This places the ancient exalted at the top of the pyramid, so to speak. Longer you've been dead, the more important you are. And the, those sent to the void at the very bottom. Isn't anybody, everybody going to the void? No. Hmm. Well, yes and no. Okay, so we're going to touch on this later, but I'm just going to throw this out there. That you have the ancient exalted the ancient venerated and you also have the companions of the exalted those are just a few in the hierarchy not that it's a particularly long list but there's like five or six something like that, that that doesn't make any sense but whatever we'll, we'll touch on it next time it's it's interesting i i looked at it and i thought about adding into this one but i didn't want to make a two-hour episode so We'll break it up so it's a little easier for people. Hmm. So next, we have the school of Morkash, because he gets his own. Okay. Like Vox, uh, Voxun before him, he knew power rose from mastery of flesh. But Morkash focused on... I did not word that well. Morkash focused that... 
discipline inward. Focus that discipline inward. I'm sorry. I, I wrote extra words in there. So he focused that discipline inward rather than outward on other beings. He sought to push his own body beyond its breaking point and in doing so became the perfect hunter. Using the carcasses of his kills as subjects for dissection and study to help him better understand the workings of the flesh, he studied or the, those studies have furthered the understanding of mortithurgy and were fundamental in the creation of the first scorn war beasts. And he is considered the father of all pain giver taskmasters who uh, create war beasts. And that I'm, I think I am going to touch on war beasts next week because there's no real good spot to put them into the scorn like culture and everything else. So I'm just going to tack them onto this. It's it's fascinating on in and of its own self. So pay pay attention to that. It's coming up uh, next week. So moving on, this is the last one I'm going to cover for now. Is the school of Kexorus, hmm. someone we have not heard of before. Kexorus is revered by the educated among the working caste as the greatest and most ancient of the non-warrior caste. Kexorus invented scorn writing, Ooh. making him particularly admired by the scholars and house historians. Prior to him, everything was passed down as an oral tradition which made matters of figuring out when exactly things happened and who did what uh, very difficult. Okay, so if he is, you know, if, if, if to worship one of your ancestors, you carry uh, around a, a piece of them or something that represents them, does that mean um, scorn scholars carry around a book with this guy's name on it? What, uh, basically, yes. Either a book or a pen a and pen. Uh, yeah, an inkwell and pen and paper, or parchment, whatever it be, or something similar. Do they, do they write on pen or are they more into the? I know. haven't found any examples of scorn writing yet, so I'm not sure. For all we know, they still do things on clay tablets. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So, scorn Moses. Extollers entrusted Kexorus with preserving house lore. Uh, and pay Kexorus respect alongside Khalid and Ashul. His work was directly responsible for the majority of the advancements in engineering and chemistry, and without it, the uh, corpusolium that served... Okay, so the corpusolium, sorry, that is basically the University of Scorn, uh, for lack of any other way to put it. Um... So wait, wait. This guy invented writing before yes. anybody else had. So yes. imagine, imagine, you know, uh, another house rocks up and they're like, you know, we're coming back to fight a battle for this slight that you committed all these hundreds of year, years ago that's been passed down through oral tradition. And the guy pulls out his book and he's like, mm -mm, I have it written right here. He never actually said that. <laughs> You're the one who slighted us. Oh, ooh, yeah. And they're like, well, wait, no, our old traditions, well, my written history says otherwise, get out! We need to learn this writing thing! Stop, 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 stop. Yeah, no, I could totally see that happening. <laughs> the, way, the way that they describe scorn and scorn culture and everything, that would totally happen. <laughs> Except for then there would be a perceived slight over the fact that you proved them wrong that they would then go to war with you anyways. <laughs> no, no, they would wait another couple hundred years. Oh, okay, okay. See the thing you about know, you know house wars. I mean, you, yeah, you never yeah. you never go to war right then. The other thing is, is when you when a house goes to war with another house, it isn't to destroy that house. That's not the purpose. No, it's it's typically to take fame, glory, some territory. To take what they would do is they would take, um, and keep in mind this is hot takes here. I still have to do the full research, but from what I can tell, they would go after heirlooms. And they would take members of their uh, working caste and whatnot as slaves. And then, you know, you go to war to get them back, but take some extra while you're at it. And so eventually people's like heirlooms kind of end up all over the place. And it's like, I'm going to go to war with you because I want grandpa's ring back or, you know, whatever. That That's a very just sort of 
a very typical house system. Yeah. In in fantasy history and that kind of stuff, when you when you have houses under the control of one person, you can't necessarily always control them. Yeah. Or if if you are at battle and then you have all of these powerful houses, they need a way to blow off steam, so they fight amongst each other. Yeah. And unless you're like a hereditary monarch or um, a more powerful monarch, you can't tell them to stop. Basically. And when you do, then they all look at you instead of each other, and you don't want that. Yes. So it's smart to let them sort of play fight. Basically. Like puppies or kittens when they, you know, pretend to hunt one another. And I just compared the scorn to kittens. I think Mikado would have something to say about that. She's got kitties. Oh, yeah. They, she does. She does. The Ferox. Rawr. Yeah. No. Scorn love cats. Yep. Sabertooth cats. Rawr. All right. Continuing on here. We're almost done. Um, so the consortium uh, that is, it's the foundation for uh, the Churrigans, Mordethurgy, and Chemistry. Churrigans are... I actually don't know precisely what they are yet. My apologies. Um, but this would not exist if it was not for Kexorus' work. And the warriors even paid their respects. <laughs> I am trying to do a thing here. Okay, 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 okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, c- I can't even say his name. <laughs> I'm not going to try to say his name. Kexorus, he is the only non-warrior that the warriors will even pay their respects to. And the reason for that is without his accomplishments, the work of um, Vexorus and the Huxun Code would not be preserved as well as it is, or perhaps even at all. And as a result, even they acknowledge that they must pay respects to Kexorus. And that is the school of Kexorus and uh, the worshippers of him. Now, next week, we're going to be touching on uh, Vixorus and the house of... Or the school of Vixorus and the Hexone Code. And then we're going to get into the heresies. Yes. Stop rubbing your hands. It makes you sound creepy. Well, ha- so you have the schools of worship and thought and faith and all that sort of stuff, and then you have the heresies. You're still rubbing your hands together. <laughs> I can't not. Um, it's it's interesting, and we're going to talk exactly how that works in scorn society as well as exactly what they are, but I'm just going to tease out here that there is one we will intentionally be leaving out until those events unfold in the future. Ooh, I think I know which one it is. So, does yes. It, does, it, does it have to do with the... It, 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 yes, yes it does. Okay, okay, okay. Yes. So, um, yeah. I can make hand motions and you can't see. Ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> so what do you think? I mean, we've already kind of touched on this, but now that I've kind of finished everything we're talking about this week... What what do you think of it as a whole? Oh, it's fairly impenetrable. Yeah. It's 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 I feel like I need to take out a degree. <laughs> I feel it, like it I is feel much... like I need to go for a weekend and take a course. Yeah. And or, have time to meditate on it and... or, or maybe take a semester of it somewhere, you know. It, it is a bit of a dry subject compared to the others we've talked about. Yeah, there's a lot of name reciting and, and that kind of stuff. And it, I, I don't know anything really from Scorn from a, a starting point. I, yeah. I, I'm, coming, I'm coming at this completely blind. And whereas, you know, I know bits and pieces of all, everybody else, but from Scorn yeah. I don't really know. And I don't know much about, you know, any sort of... Eastern philosophy, mm-hmm. and I really think that when they made the Scorn religion, they drew from sort of Eastern philosophies. And since yes. I don't have a background in that, um, I can't really relate. Yeah, no, and I completely get that. I don't but think it does help that you are a big 
Japanese culture buff and that I have absorbed some stuff from that that I understand the caste system a little bit better. Yeah. And sort of the, the understanding of the, of the history and sort of how, um, you know, their, their reliance on, on um, the, their, their code, their, their mm-hmm. haksun or whatever it is, yep. has sort of made a stagnation in their culture. Yes. It, it is a driving point and it drives forward their, um, their, their, their desire for war or yes. battle or, yes. or their ability to face death, but it has sort of left a stagnation where they're not really open to new ideas and, and that kind of stuff. Correct. And that's something I'm, I was actually going to touch on here is the focus on the Hexun Code uh, or did for so long that they, they understood that if you're going to assault another house, that house is going to have walls and uh, defense uh, capabilities that a sword is not going to be able to penetrate. Even the beasts of war can go pound on that wall for a while, but not a whole lot's going to happen. So they did invent siege weaponry, but they only used that siege weaponry and ranged weaponry specifically to create a breach in the enemy's defenses of their fortification so that they could then draw their sword and go to battle one-on-one. And that one-on-one battle, that, that way of fighting, is what kept them going for centuries. Until they eventually discovered the West. When they discovered Signar and Kador and Protectorate and realized, oh, we can't even get close enough to swing a sword at them, let alone anything else. Why is your phone ringing? I I'm positive. Okay, that, that phone call taken care of. I apologize. Um, it's like it's like it's like when when um when the Japanese came up against gun lines. Yes. Yeah, it really is because they they didn't know how to handle that. Yeah. And cannons especially terrified them until they got a hold of them themselves. Yeah. There's a whole movie about it. <laughs> yeah, multiple. Um, just not all in English. But yeah, it's it 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 was an entirely different experience, and that's what actually caused the scorn to change their philosophy and start realizing that they needed to pay better respects to the capabilities of ranged warfare, and began more readily albeit slowly integrating ranged warfare you into know, their main What I am looking forward to order. is when you get into the beasts. Yes. I don't know exactly how much there is to be said on that aside from how the process... That there is a very specific process for or imprinting a war beast to a warlock. And... It is a. It's not something that's undergone very um, readily, and they do so only if they have to, basically. And there are families which control the breeding of said war beasts. Yes, at least one specific kind. Yep. So we'll just have to wait for next time for that one. Lots Yay. of teasers here. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, I hope you all enjoyed this. I was a. It was a lot of reading material for me to get through for all this, so I really apologize it's taking so long for us to get to this cast, but I hope, I hope it was plus, worth it. Plus, life happened. It. Yeah, there, one, there one was... One of our children had a birthday. Yeah, and there was a lot of other stuff that happened, so it's it's been an eventful couple of weeks now. Yep, but yeah. we got it done, and we'll hopefully get the one the other one done sooner. Yes, uh, I intend for that to be the next episode you drop. Um, but if not, then it'll be the one after that that will pick this back up. Okay. So, all right. Thank you all for joining us. We love having you here. We'll talk to you again real soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of War Nouns. If you'd like to contact us, I put our Gmail and Twitter info in the show notes. You can also find there a list of all relevant resources or shoutouts we mention or use for today's cast. There will also be a link to our Ko-fi if you feel so inclined to make a donation to our caffeine habits. And lastly, if you want to learn more about our intro or outro music, you can find a link to Prodilus on Bandcamp. 